Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchak, James Kernan, and Carl Polichuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Cybersecurity for small business has become overwhelming. Unprecedented threats, escalating rhetoric, and limited resources. None of us can battle it alone. Lean on your community at Calyptics Security. The Calyptics Community Shield automatically unites small businesses and raises the costs and challenges for cybercriminals by harnessing threat intelligence from our community. If they attack any one of us, everyone gets the benefit with Community Shield. The best part? No added costs. By working together, we will prevail. Learn more at Calyptics.com and tell them Carl sent you. Hi, this is Carl. Welcome to another SMB Community Podcast. I'm joined today by a good friend of mine, Larry Mandelberg, who I've known for mm, a lot of years, actually decades, which is kind of freaky. So welcome, sir. Um, So among other things, Larry is one of the founding board members of the National Society for IT Service Providers. And uh, of course, he didn't come from nowhere. So why don't you tell folks a little bit about who you are and how you got here? Well, I am a non-recovering serial entrepreneur, a fifth generation business owner. My family's business started in the mid 1800s. And uh, I've owned uh, 13 or 14 different businesses. So I've had a lot of business experience. Three of those are IT related. Um, My first exposure to technology was in 1973 when our auto parts store needed to buy a computer system to manage our inventory. It was just overwhelming. And um, I've been working with computers primarily in a business context ever since. That's, uh, what's that, 48 years now? So um, been involved with the IT business for a lot of years and have watched it decline sadly over the years. And I think I'm not active with technology anymore other than as a business consultant, not technology consultant. What I love about this organization is that it's not just tech heads, first of all. And I think that it's, its designed purpose will help bring technology or the IT industry back to a place where it's healthy and functional and effective as opposed to cancerous and problematic. Wow. All righty then. So um, in terms of your background, when you got involved with uh, technology consulting, would you say it was more professional or just that you just did it in a professional way, but there were a whole lot of amateurs out there? I was right. Um, that's a great question. Let me start by saying that I've, other than in college, somewhat hobbyistically, I've never worked for a company that I didn't own. So I never had the luxury of approaching any kind of work from any perspective other than formally or professionally, if you prefer. So I've never done any of my consulting with, without a sense of professionalism or a need for professionalism. Um, the reason that I was successful was because there were so many amateurs out there. And 
one of the things that's true, I've found to be true in all industries is particularly where the barrier to entry is very, very low. There's an ocean of amateurs and a pond or a trickle of professionals. And the problem is not that there aren't any, the problem is they're hard to find, you know? Uh, it's like, how do you find a good doctor? They're every, doctors are everywhere, but how do you find a good one? Well, you gotta go to 10 to find a good one. And that could be very expensive when you're talking about technology. And what's worse, as in the case with a doctor, can be fatal. Uh, I've seen people spend insane amounts of money on, I mean, and I'm talking in the billions of dollars on technology that literally was a little bit more effective than just filling up a trash can with money. Well, and it's not all just the, the, the little uh, companies that are the ones with problems. Uh, I remember that when I first heard of the whole concept of CRM in the 1990s, the most common end result of a CRM integration project was abandoning the project. <laughs> and yeah. you know, we've come a long way since then. So uh, you know, many, many companies, not just, not just government, but private industry have in fact wasted billions of dollars on technology that uh, wasn't implemented properly. So, so it's interesting you say that your success is in part because there were so many amateurs. Did it make it easier to sell when you could say, we're not like those guys, or did you just present yourself and uh, not not pay any attention to those guys, whoever they were? That's a great question. No, I did not present myself that way. The way I did it was I approached third-party vendors whose customers needed my services. And then I talked to my, those vendors about my services and how they applied to their customers and why it would be value for me to, to offer that to their customers. So it was the bridge, right? The conduit, if you will. And just by knowing the tribal lingo and acting professionally and doing things, you know, in the sixties, we used to call it sharpening your pencil, right? Um, just by behaving in a respectful way and acknowledging what their needs were and how they were gonna benefit, they would see how I would react and how I would operate so they would gladly give me a guinea pig to go work with. And from there, it was planting a seed and watering it. And it just never was a struggle to fight those other people. And, and Carl, let me just say this, because I think this is really important if we're going to talk about sales and IT. Um, and I, I can say this from the stance that I've owned three companies, three IT companies that did systems integration, custom app dev, accounting, and training um, at various points in time. You will always lose money if you try to force a sale that's not right. You will always make more money if you say no when it's not right. The best sales training I ever had was a $30,000 expense paid for by Microsoft when I had a, one, of, one of my IT companies. They said, we want you to send your staff through the sales training. And I said, that's fine. You pay for it. I'm not paying for it. So they said, okay, put the entire company through it. And the theme of the entire sales training was get to know, that's N-O, as fast as you can. Your job is to talk to people and figure out how you can get them to say that they're not the right prospect for you 
because if you can get to that as fast as possible and you can't get to know, they're sold. And I'm really simplifying it, but that was the concept. And so to me, the amateur out there poisons the pool and makes people unnecessarily wary, consumes resources, destroys businesses that could have been a great customer of mine. They don't interfere with my ability to close a sale when I get to a prospect. Right. Well, it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned the low barrier of entry a little while ago, and it, this has always been the case in our industry. Uh, it sort of frustrated me when I would read articles in magazines and they would say, hey, if you're looking for a, a career that's easy to get into, it doesn't have any requirements, go into IT. And I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Um, on the other hand, every industry, every industry ever in the history of the world, people start out as amateurs and they, with luck, grow to be professionals. And so, um, you know, one of the things I hope that we can do is to help people, you know, build a pathway so that uh, we are always welcoming new people and not denigrating them, but saying, hey, you know, you start out as a, an apprentice or whatever, and with luck, you will become professional. And so right. let's build a path that is sort of normalizes that uh, and welcomes people going forward. I, I, and I love that. <clears throat> and I believe that that's in the subtext that I perceived being alive in this idea, this germ of an idea, if you will. Um, you know, I just, I wrote this book um, about why businesses fail. And I bring it up because I wanna bring up the point of a vision. Um, you know, I spent decades trying to figure out what makes businesses fail. And that's what the book is all about, is why they fail. And it's really very simple, but, but, but purpose is one of the key components. And in order to achieve what you just described, give people a path to being professionals, there's an aspect of this that, that is routinely missed. It's kind of like the boat going too fast over the, over the problem underneath it and it, the sonar doesn't pick it up, right? If you're going too fast. Um, you have to have people want to be professionals. If they don't want to be professionals, they're not going to care about a path that allows them to become a professional. Yeah, excellent. So the vision has to create a compelling desire for those people who care about the technology industry and want to be a part of it. That's critical because what the vision does is it helps the organization attract like-minded people who want to achieve a goal collaboratively with other like-minded people and bring it to the marketplace. The marketplace of people who want it and who need it. And when you do that, when you get clear about that vision, what we're trying to create, you can then go and broadcast to the IT community and say, for all of you who have been frustrated by the lack of professionalism, help support us. This is not the vision statement. I'm just trying to make my point. Come be a part of this, whether you're part of the organization or whether you're part of the certification process, the training process, or becoming a professional, go out and, and, and 
you know, offering your wares as a professional and promoting it and promoting it that professionalism came from us. I mean, I could go on and on, but you get what I point. Right. And then the mission has to communicate who that's a value to, why it's a value to them, and how you're going to deliver it. And, and that's the vision and the mission. And then the third piece of purpose is how do we make decisions? And that's our values. And that's our culture. The values define our culture. So I was thinking about this this morning, and I was thinking about why are purpose statements such a popular term as opposed to mission statements or vision statements? And I realized that it's because purpose is a, is a, a cumulative package of those three things. Vision, what we're going to become. Mission, what we deliver. And values, our culture. And to put all that into one statement, it's too much. Too much to absorb, too much to read, too much to engage with, too much to remember. But if you break it into those three pieces, they each have very distinct value propositions and benefits. And that is what businesses, it particularly early stage organizations like ours needs to be. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to be part of the board because I think this is critical to our birth, launch and early stage evolution and I want to be there to help if I can. So you may not be aware of this, but several, not several, a handful of people on the board, uh, and I'm going to say a, a, a slim majority of the board, uh, were unknown to the core people who started the organization. And so it's very interesting that there, you know, we were able to attract really spectacular talent of people that uh, you know, they're not the, the, the long-term known professionals who have been the opinion leaders for many, many years. And I think that's really good because it means that, um, you know, we're at least starting out more focused on talent than, um, you know, popularity, <laughs> which is always good for nerds. You know, ner nerds, nerds excel at, at talent, uh, but not always at popularity. So, yeah. Um, so I, I want to take a, just a second and make sure we get some websites out, um, and uh, we'll put this in the notes so people can see the show notes. But uh, Mandelberg, Berg is with an E, so M-A-N-D-E-L-B-E-R-G dot biz is the website. And uh, you, if folks look for Larry Mandelberg on LinkedIn, uh, we'll have that link as well. And uh, the uh, NSITSP is N-S-I-T-S-P dot O-R-G. Uh, so if you're interested, please check us out. We would love to have more members. We need to um, get uh, a lot of people involved because we're just starting to form committees. And that is, you know, it's not quite growing exponentially, but it's growing pretty fast. And we're, we're just going to need a whole lot more people. So, uh, so, so can I tag on to that? Absolutely. So if you want to be part of something truly special, and use your skills and expertise to help yourself and others and be part of this, come and join us. And, and I want to give you one more website, businessesdontfail.com. Businessesdontfail.com. That's without the apostrophe on the don't. It's just right. D-O-N-T. And um, That right sounds now, like a book title. Yeah. And right now, well, it's part of it. Uh, <laughs> The, the 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 second half of the book title i gotta do this businesses don't fail 
they commit suicide. How to Survive Your Success and Thrive in Good Times and Bad. That's the book. And um, yes, I do reference COVID and COVID is no excuse for business failure. I have proof of that in micro companies, mid-sized companies and global behemoths like Disney. It is not an excuse. And um, right now, if you go to that website, you'll be able to sign up for a dramatic discount on the book. And shortly after the book is released, that's pre-sale, uh, that will be the, the website for the book. So thank you for that. Excellent. Oh, yeah, no, no problem, because I believe in your mission and I love, you know, one of the things that, that I'm going to make sure people got out of that was that you need to survive your success. And that's a thing I don't think we spend enough time talking about. And the way that you put it, uh, you know, I've, I've read a draft of the book. Uh, you know, there, people reach a point where they have so much success that they're now facing new challenges that they've never faced before. And it's, we have to, it's almost a Zen-like thing. We always have to have a beginner's mind and not get arrogant about, hey, I reached a million, I reached, I reached 5 million, I, I reached this milestone, I have you know 20 employees or whatever, and think that we've seen it all because we, we, you ain't seen nothing. <laughs> and, and you don't know what challenges are going to be at the next level of your own success. Right. Well, and along those same lines, let me give your listeners um, a, uh, a, a, um, thought to noodle over and wrestle with a bit, if I may. Sure. Um, if you're not striving to be your most dangerous competitor, somebody else is. And what is a most dangerous competitor? The person who will knock you off your perch, the person who will take your market share, the person who will excel where you don't, the person who will eventually make you second or third or fourth, the competitor who will beat you to the best clients. I mean, I, I tend to focus, Carl, and you know this, I tend to focus on that small quartile of business that are at the top of their game and very, very successful and also focused on profitable growth, continuous profitable growth. That's who I work with mostly. And it's pretty common for people to avoid them because they tend to be hard to sell because they say, well, I don't have a problem. The people I work with are the people that say, we know we're the best. We don't want to fall. What do we have to do to stay where we are? Well, right. the, the simplest way to say that is, if you were your competitor, what would you be doing? Exactly. And I, I see this. You in, need to be your most dangerous competitor. Right. And I, I see this in businesses all the time. And, and part of it is that you get to a point where a core piece of the leadership is dedicated to defending the current uh, income stream. And as a result, they push back against innovation that would hurt their income stream. And it's almost like you know, at, at uh, some companies, General Motors is an example, they would say, look, the people who are, are in charge of our biggest products can't be in charge of uh, innovation because they won't do it. it it's not in their, their own personal best interest. Right. 
you know, there's a there's a saying that I want to share. Um, what you're what you're basically talking about is change management um, or acceptance of change, and, and you know, I talk about that a lot. And one of the key signs of of major trouble is um, when people are highly resistant to change because it's always worked for us. Right. Um, and when I do projects, I work with leadership teams. And when I when I take on a new client, the first thing I tell the whole team is. You all need to understand that there are some of you who probably don't belong here anymore. You've given your best, you've gotten value, and you're going to want to be gone because things are going to change in a way you're not comfortable with. And that's okay. That's good for everybody. Embrace it. Um, whenever I give a presentation, actually 99% of the time when I give a presentation, the first thing I do is I ask the audience to raise their hands if they think people, generally speaking, like change. How many of you think people like change? And of course, only the smart Alex raised their hand. And then I say, how many of you people think people generally dislike change? And almost everybody raises their hands. And I say, every one of you is wrong. It's not true. Everybody loves change. It's not change that people don't like. It's the change done unto them. Everybody loves the change they do unto others. So as you're going through successful times and recognize opportunities for helpful, beneficial change, it's critical to realize that if it isn't part of someone else's vision or idea, they're going to be resistant. And there are some people who just don't want part of it, and it's okay. Let them go. That's, that goes right back to the sales comment. Get to know fast. I'm a board member. I don't want any part of this. Thank you for being honest. Goodbye. Right. <laughs> well, and, you know, it's interesting because in technology, there's, I mean, change is literally what we do. Uh, we, right. our businesses are built on, uh, you know, earthquake prone ground. And time and time again, I have seen people say, well, I'm not going to the cloud. I'm not going to learn that new level of technology. Like, okay, well, I hope you're either going to retire or go get another job because that's the way the world works. Uh, and now we see people who say, you know, living in obscurity with on-premise uh, equipment has always served us well. And so in terms of cybersecurity, I'm not going to make any changes. And they're the ones who are now subject to all of the attacks, all of the, the really big attacks. And so once again, we have people who they have built their success doing a certain thing. And now that thing is uh, uh, basically their, their biggest weakness. And yeah. so how do you have a mentality of change in an industry that will be completely different every five years for the rest of history <laughs> or three years or two years or one year? Yeah. I, I assume that was a rhetorical question. <laughs> no, I want the answer. <laughs> Well, go back, to, go back to the verb. How do you what an industry? How do you manage an industry? Your question. Well, how do, how do we run a company in an industry where we know that change is built in from the start? It's baked in. Uh, you know, how do you go to work every day and say, I'm going to put so much energy into how I know to make money and so much energy into how we're going to make money in the future, which right. is a best guess. Right. A lot of people don't want to guess about which technology is going to win. Yeah. 
Well, a lot of people don't like to clean the bathroom, but if you want to live in a nice house, it's got to have a bathroom. <laughs> and at some point it's got to be clean. So everything comes with some unpleasant components. You know, this is a great question. I was at the cocktail party the other night and one of the people, one of the women said to me, I work for a company not to be named, very large IT company. And I am so frustrated because they're changing things on me all the time. You know, do this. And then a week later, I, I've done it again and I get reprimanded because I didn't do the new thing. So there, there, there's no, nothing I can be, I can depend on. And we talked about it and I gave her an answer. I went around the room and I asked everybody, what do you think the answer to the question is? And everybody, what, what, the, what the moral of what everybody said was, was that the only way you can be successful is to define your own goals and objectives. Now, and, and, and I completely agree with that. The problem is if you have a business with 10 people or 20 people or however many, you can't have 10 or 20 of ultimate long-term goals and objectives. You gotta have some common ground. The way you create the common ground is through clarity of purpose. This is the value we're trying to deliver and it isn't a technology box or a software application. It's value in terms of the benefit to the ultimate end user. And that's why I don't believe in win-win situations. I believe in win-win-win situations. If there aren't three of us winning, there aren't enough of us winning. So by having clarity of purpose, you already have that emotional engagement, that emotional commitment to accomplishing a big picture long-term goal. Now you can talk about how we deliver it. We used to deliver it this way, that isn't gonna work tomorrow, which will take us off course towards our ultimate goal. So we have to change. Now I'm throwing a lot of buzzwords and acronyms and stuff in here, which should be fine for your audience. I'm gonna to go to change management. ProSci has the standard, the most recognized standard methodology for change management, and it's based on five things, awareness, desire, knowledge, action. They call it application, I call it action, and reinforcement. Most people go to knowledge and action. This is what we need to do, and this is what we're gonna do, and this is, let's go do it. They miss the awareness and the desire. So when you have that purpose and that goal, we now have to change the, the mission. We have to change what we deliver and how we deliver it, one or the other or both. And how do you get buy-in with that? First of all, you pin the tail on the donkey on the purpose and say, remember, this is where we're going. This is where we're going. And right now, what's happening, awareness, is dying. It may not be on a downtrend yet, but you're, we're all smart and we know what this is. This is technology doing its everyday routine. It's dying, it's going away, it's being replaced, it's obsolete. It was obsolete a, a month, if not a year before it was released. If we change now, guess what that'll do for us? Now I'm into desire. It'll give us the opportunity to do X, to do Y, to do Z. Plus. We get to learn new stuff and keep our minds fresh and alive and continue to grow and be better people and serve our customers better. I mean, all of this is just a matter of attitude. It's a matter of perspective. I, to me, it's just so simple to deal with it that it's, 
amazing to me that people have not figured this out, but as the old saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him think. <laughs> well, and it's one thing to say, well, uh, it's, it's tough to convince clients to adopt newer technology, but when the IT service providers are not providing new technology, then you got a real problem because uh, they're putting themselves and their clients in danger. Um, yeah. So um, we only have a, a couple of minutes left, but I wanted to uh, loop back to the board. So you're one of the uh, members of the board of directors. And um, do you have specific things that you wanna talk about in terms of what you're hoping the uh, National Society for IT Service Providers will do for uh, the larger community? Yeah, I was involved in a similar situation with uh, the Institute or the um, yeah, Institute of Management Consultants USA. And, and they tried to do the very same thing, create a level of, of professionalism. They had a certification program. They're very strong on ethics. They had a very strong code of ethics. I was working on that. We did a lot of training and testing and validation. Um, they failed miserably. Uh, their, their certification, the CMC, never got traction. They never promoted it. They never got consultants to buy into it. They did a very bad job. I know how valuable technology can be, and I know how destructive technology can be. And just like the human nature to resist change, the, the, the nature of technology is that it's attracted most strongly to the unhealthy elements. And what I really want is to see this be successful in creating a body, a group of people who are recognized ideally nationally. Now that's a long-term goal. It's not a vision, but a long-term goal. Recognized internationally as people who are trustworthy, knowledgeable, insightful, and able to help navigate the turbulent waters of the world of technology, which is not an option. You're on a river, you're moving fast, and there are rocks ahead. You, you're going through them. And if you want to get to the other side and be floating, you're going to need help. And, and that's my dream, is to have that take away the sense that technology is bad and problem and risk and danger and expense and all of that stuff. Sadly, we're out of time, but man, I'd love to talk about that last point just because people also love technology. Like they will adopt all kinds of new technology in their personal lives. And, and then when it comes to their business, they're like, wait, no, oh, no, the price is too high. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. I'd like to talk too, maybe, maybe some other time. Yes, we'll, we'll have you back. So in the meantime, folks, we'll put it in the links below, but go to uh, mandelberg.biz and find out more about Larry. And if you uh, got a minute, go to nsitsp.org and join the National Society of IT Service Providers. Larry Mandelberg from Mandelberg Consulting, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.